Today, on inflection point number eight, we look at the first of the seven major ecumenical councils. It's uh, called the Council of Nicaea. It was convened 325 by Constantine, and it's uh, fascinating and important for a number of reasons. Now, there's a lot of uh, bad information out there about this gathering. It's not the first church council. We find that in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when Paul came off the mission field to go to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles and talk about extending the offer of the gospel to Gentiles. It's not even the second or the third council. There were gatherings of local gatherings of bishops uh, around various challenges facing the church. It was not the place where the books of the New Testament were chosen. It was not a gathering in which Constantine decided to advance the claim that Jesus was God. Dan Brown, among others, makes uh, this claim. I mentioned that before. Um, what this was, was the first of seven major, the term that's generally used is ecumenical, and today that sort of means um, you're generally easygoing and willing to work with other people. Uh, at the time, uh, the way, or the way it's used here, ecumenical means universal. So th this is one of the seven big universal, all-encompassing meetings in which uh, a number of bishops get together and decide things that are going to affect the entire church. And it came about because of uh, the aberrant views being advanced about Jesus by um, a popular pastor, and there was a need uh, clearly to agree upon some language that was going to be used, talked about Jesus, which is ultimately in a broader conversation about how to think about, talk about the Trinity. So what we noted in, um, in inflection point number seven is that in the early fourth century, a lot of things were changing, and many of these changes were pivoting around the person and, and influence of Constantine the Great. Uh, so I noted that he was um, a military leader who became the emperor in the western half of the western half of the Roman Empire. He rose to this position after his father died. Uh, he fairly quickly marched against a challenger, um, Maxentius, who was the leader of the eastern half of the western half of the empire. Uh, on the night before their big fight, the Battle of Milvian Bridge, uh, he, uh, Constantine had, had a vision of Christ in heaven telling him to conquer under the sign of the cross and that he somewhat surprisingly defeated Maxentius the next day and and then that uh, not that long after that, he got together with Licinius, the leader of the eastern half of the empire, and they jointly issued this uh, Edict of Milan, a call for toleration, which um, was more broadly than just calling for this for Christians, but it pretty profoundly changed things for Christians. For 300 years, they'd been persecuted, and now it was no longer illegal to be a Christ follower. Um, we noted other things. I commented, for instance, that Constantine turned this small Greek city on the Bosporus Strait called Byzantium into the capital of the East, uh, naming it with all humility Constantinople. Uh, by the way, he also names all his children either Constantine or Constance or Constantinius. He had a daughter he named her Constantinia. <laughs> So he named the city Constantinople, and, it, and Constantinople will be the sort of city uh, for the next 1,100 years in the eastern 
uh, part of Rome. Uh, it, it lasts until 1453 when it falls to the Ottomans. Uh, but today we are focusing not on those things. That sort of sets up the, the next thing. This is that Constantine convenes this council. Uh, you may remember in um, talks uh, on inflection points three, four, and five, we looked at the anti nicene leaders. So um, inflection point one was the burning of Rome. Two was the fall of Jerusalem. Three, four, and five were on these church fathers who were uh, called anti-Nicaea leaders because they led anti-A-N-T-E before the Nicene Council. This is a big turning point uh, in, in the church. So the primary reason that it was called was to address the disruption caused by this uh, Arius, this popular teacher in uh, North Africa, who, who claimed that Jesus was more than human but less than God, which is essentially the same views uh, advanced by Jehovah's Witnesses today. Uh, it was not a small thing. Many would say that uh, the Arian controversy was the single biggest challenge the church ever faced. Now, um, the council did more than that. Um, it was, was important for more than that. Uh, for starters, it's around this time that the, the number of Christians really begins to grow, and size always affects things. Uh, before this, pastors knew everybody in their church. Now, they probably don't. Before this, organization was simple. Now, it's much more complicated. Before this, Christianity is small enough and, and mostly underground enough that there's no real thought about how the church would interact with the state. But now you have this gathering called by the emperor and all these people. And, and this, this is going to change the church. Some would say, many would say, in bad ways. Some don't think much of Constantine's conversion. They, they don't think that he was all that concerned with the unity of the church. They think he was just concerned with the unity of the empire and he was using the church. Um, Others think that this is Constantine's advancement of the Edict of Milan uh, and his prominence as a Christian really watered down Christianity uh, before. It cost you something to believe. Now it doesn't. Uh, but, but what's clear is from the time of the Council of Nicaea on, uh, the church is going to be part of the main story. You cannot talk about Rome, imperial history, after the fourth century without talking about the church. I mean, this is going to go all through the next thousand years. I mean, through the Middle Ages, Christendom. Um, the church is going to be a prominent part of every story. And for that matter, you can't talk about the church now without talking about the influence of the state. Um, the church is going to be shaped by the state. The state is going to be shaped by the church. And so there's a number of things going on. Uh, and, and, and I'm not even listing them all. The, the council will be a model for other councils, and they will decide other things here, like the date of Easter. So the Council of Nicaea is a big event. But the main reason it's a big event is because of the challenges brought to orthodoxy by Arius. Now, you may remember uh, I mentioned an anti-Nicene church father named Origen. Well, in, in an effort to combat 
uh, an earlier heresy, modalism, also called Sabellianism. Uh, modalism was basically the view that you don't have a trinity. You don't have one God in three persons. You have one God in one person who acts in three different ways. And so one of the analogies that's used for modalism is in, as of an actor who wears different masks. And so in the first act, God wears the mask of the father. And then in the second act, he ch takes off the mask of the father. He puts on the mask of the son. And then in the third act, he takes off the mask of the son. He puts on the mask of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have one God in three persons. They don't coexist. You have one God in one person. This is called modalism. And uh, Origen, so one of the Antinician fathers, uh, tried to counter modalism. And, and in explaining it, he said uh, to make the distinction between the father and the son, he talks about the fact that uh, that Jesus is, is less divine than the Father. And uh, Arius, this uh, dynamic, popular pastor, uh, he's not a bishop, he was a presbyter, so not quite as high as a bishop. Uh, but Arius comes along, and he argues that while Origen was right in suggesting that Jesus was less than the Father, <laughs> he was wrong in suggesting that there can be degrees of divinity to his way of thinking, you're either God or you're not, and Jesus was not. So in, in theological discussion, sometimes um, you make a distinction between the, between the begotten and the unbegotten. So you draw a horizontal line across the page, and on the top you say, okay, these are the, these are the things that were not created, and it's God. And under the line, you put everything else. So in, in Origen's view, Jesus is above the line. In Arius's view, Jesus is below the line. And uh, Arius begins to make waves in, in um, 318 when he publicly accuses Alexander, uh, a soft-spoken bishop of Alexandria, of modalism. So in a sermon, Alexander had been arguing that Origen was wrong to suggest that Jesus was not equal to the Father, that he was not 100% God. Um, Arius didn't like the sermon. He felt like Alexander failed to show how both Father and Son could be God without either falling into polytheism on the one hand or modalism on the other. And Arius's argument was that only the Father was divine uh, and that Jesus, while he was godlike and worthy of worship, was simply the first and greatest of all of God's creation. He was not eternal. There was a time before Jesus existed, all of this. So uh, Arius' views, Arianism, begins to spread in Alexandria and uh, beyond in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Um, and much of this is because Arius is so dynamic and popular and he draws crowds and he's got lots of charisma and he uses, he, he can explain difficult concepts very simply and, and he puts some of his ideas to jingles that people who are not literate can remember. Uh, by the way, the, 
The good guys uh, also had jingles. So the Gloria Patri, uh, which you may know, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So the Gloria Patri was also um, a, a, an Aryan era jingle. This was created, it's a fight song to push back <laughs> on the Aryans. So it's not just glory be to the Father, it's glory be to the, the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, there was never a time before Jesus was fully God. So this is the, 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 this, these debates were going on. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa, a fourth century church father, so a post-Nicene father, he wrote uh, about all of this, and he said, uh, you couldn't go into town without people talking about it. If you ask somebody in the city for change, he would discuss with you whether God the Son is begotten or unbegotten. If you asked about the quality of the bread, you would receive the answer that God the Father is greater, God the Son is less. If you suggested that a bath is desirable, you would be told that there was nothing before God the Son was created. So um, Arius created quite a stir, and um, the mild-mannered Alexander felt uh, like he needed help. So he convened a, a special assembly of the bishops locally to help him sort of... Uh, address this uh, popular rival. Now, we don't have any of the details of that council. We do know that Arius uh, attempted to disrupt it by rallying a bunch of his supporters to shout him down. And we know that also, we know that once the bishops understood Arius's views, they overwhelmingly agreed that he was a heretic and they excommunicated him. Now, this might have been the end, except Arius did not give up. Uh, instead, he quickly organized a letter-writing campaign, and he sent it to all the bishops that didn't make the meeting. And these letters offered a very one-sided account of the issues. And um, so Alexander responds with a letter-writing campaign of his own, but it, it just doesn't end the situation. It, the, the debates grow more uh, strident and riots break out and uh, the whole place starts, to, I guess, to look like Portland. So to us today, the contemporary mind, uh, one that seldom cares or even understands theological precision, these debates sound silly. They were not. Um, what was being debated was nothing less than the future of the faith. Alexander understood that what people believe matters. And what people believe about God matters most of all. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. That shapes you in the most profound ways. And if we're wrong about our understanding of God, if error creeps in there, if, if our understanding of who Jesus is is off, then all is lost. The fight, the fight over the Trinity, the, the, the fight over, over the nature of Jesus is a fight over the gospel. If Jesus was not, if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, then he does not have the ability to die in our place. So Alexander claimed that Jesus was God. Arius says that he's not. The battle lines are clear. Um, so let me just add here again the, the controversy is even larger now because of the politics involved. 
Now that Constantine is a Christian, the church's theological quarrels are political issues. Because Constantine wants religious unity to hold together his fragile empire, he wants these letter-writing campaigns and riots to stop. He thinks that division in the church is worse than war. So to that end, he cannot let this go on. He convenes the Council of Nicaea. He summons the bishops to his summer home in Nicaea to work out their differences. So Nicaea um, used to be outside of Constantinople, and the reason they met in Nicaea is because Constantinople is going to be the capital. hasn't been completed yet. Nicaea is where Constantine has his summer home. Uh, and by the way, I, I thought I had been... <laughs> Been to Nicaea. I've been to Nicaea. I thought I'd been to the place of the Nicene uh, Council. Uh, on my first visit to Turkey, I, I asked my tour guide um, to take me there. And he balked the first couple of days. We didn't get to it. Finally, I'm like, look, I really want to see Nicaea. And so he takes me uh, to this gas station. And there's this sign, you know, like this historical marker uh, just next to the gas station. And it says, this is the spot where the Council of Nicaea was held. Uh, it was pretty um, pretty comic and pretty disappointing. But um, since then, uh, there's a new theory as to where it was held. Uh, unfortunately, it's underwater. So um, read about that in the Biblical Archaeology uh, Review. But anyway, uh, Nicaea today, uh, because Constantinople has become so huge, it is incorporated um, Nicaea as no longer a separate town. It's just part of of Istanbul. So anyway, in 325, Constantine convenes this gathering uh, and over 300 bishops show up, most from the East, not all, but most from the East. And this is a surreal event for some of these people. For 300 years, Christians have been persecuted by the state. Uh, consequently, they couldn't meet publicly. And, and consequently, some of those that are coming to Nicaea did so having just a few years earlier been in prison for their faith. And some of them are have, were tortured. There's a guy that shows up blind. There's a guy that shows up with, with, without hands that work because of the torture they had been under. And now here they are gathering at this, at this guest palace or at this, this guest um, summer home palace-like place, uh, an all-expense-paid trip to the residence of the of the emperor and constantine himself convenes the meeting he comes out in his uh, gilded imperial robes uh and and occupying this um self-appointed position as bishop of bishops and he opens the ceremonies and and says some things he makes it clear to them that he wants some sort of unifying position to be reached and then he sort of turns things over, over to others. So those in attendance, the bishops in attendance, quickly sort themselves into three camps. Uh, a few side with Arius, mo many more side with Alexander, but the biggest group is sort of the compromise group. Uh, those who agreed with Alexander argued that Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus was not created. He was eternally begotten of the Father. In other words, the, he's not son by virtue of adoption like we are adopted into the family of God. He has the very essence, the same nature as the Father. 
those that were in this compromise camp sided much more with Alexander than with Arius. They wanted Arius to move, but they were comfortable with the idea that what Arius needed to be able to agree to was that uh, the son was of like reality with the father. The Greek word here is homoousion. Um, they did not think initially that it was necessary to say that the son was of the same reality, homoousion, with the father. So the difference between homoousion and homoousion uh, is the is one letter. It's the it's the Greek letter I iota, uh, and this uh, led Edward Gibbon, the author of the Fall of the Roman Empire who was not a fan of Christianity, uh, to sneer that Christians fought each other over an iota. But that's not the case. Christians did not fight Christians over an iota. They fought with non They fought with pagans over uh, a very significant point. The difference between these two words is the difference between orthodoxy and heresy. It's the difference between Christ being God uh, and Christ not being God. It just being God-like, just being, uh, it's the difference between having a savior and having a good example. Uh, additionally, it's worth emphasizing that, that, um, that none of these ideas are really being decided here. Uh, the, the Trinity was, was, was understood. The problem that they had had was figuring out how to talk about it and the words to use. And the same thing, the, the, there's nothing being determined at the Council of Nicaea. The question is, how are we going to talk about it? So for several days, it looks like the compromise wording is going to carry. And this would uh, allow Arius back in the church. However, as soon as uh, Arius's representative, because remember, he's not a bishop, so he's not invited. He was a presbyter. As soon as as soon as Arius's representative, Eusebius, who, who I mentioned last time because he was a friend of Constantine's and wrote the, a biography of Constantine, as soon as Eusebius began to, to fully explain Arius's views and the bishops there understood exactly what Arius was, was advocating, then the momentum shifts and, uh, in fact, while Eusebius is explaining Arius's position, he's reading some things that Arius had uh, written, uh, people, the bishops, some of the bishops placed their hands over their ears and started shouting, stop the blasphemy. One guy runned up onto the, the dais and he rips Eusebius's notes out of his hands and stomps on him. And then uh, more famously, St. Nicholas uh, of Myra. So there really was a Santa Claus, St. Nicholas of Myra, the prototype for, for St. Nick. Uh, he was a real person. He was a bishop. He had been persecuted uh, for his faith under Diocletian. He goes up and he slaps Eusebius. Um, he's so offended at the denigration of Christ that uh, he, let the, he let the guy have it. Um, so if you've ever seen the meme where Santa's going to have to slap a heretic, well, there you go. It comes from that. So very quickly, they moved to a vote, and, and Arius's view is denounced by a vote of 308 to 2. So I'll remind you that Dan Brown says that the idea that Jesus was God is something advanced 
at the Council of, of uh, Nicaea by Constantine. It's a new idea and barely passes. No, none of that's true. And the vote is 308 to two. And the two that voted no, it, it appears that they voted no because of a side problem between a couple cities and there was politics going on and they just couldn't, they couldn't side, uh, they couldn't side with Alexander. So anyway, um, so now that Arius's fate has been resolved, the bishops then set to work uh, on the real challenge, which is coming up with a way to explain the Trinity in a way that would clarify things. So this of course is much harder uh, but Constantine wanted some sort of statement, and they generally thought that they needed some sort of statement. So they work on this for two months. There's a contentious side debate at one point over whether or not they can only use biblical language, which was actually sounds like a good idea, and many were in favor of it initially, but they realized that, that Arius would, would be able to affirm if it was only biblical language because he would define these terms differently. And so they uh, they they don't go down that path, and they come up with a creed, and this is this is not. I'll explain this in a second. This is the Creed of Nicaea, not to be confused with the Nicene Creed that you might know. So the Creed of Nicaea says, "We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, of the same substance." So that's the word homoousios. This word is why they're not simply using biblical words. This word alone puts an end to Arian, uh, Arianism. To They cannot abide by this word. So of one substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both which be in heaven and on earth, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven and he shall come again to judge both the quick and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Ghost. And whoever shall say that there was a time when the Son of God was not or that before he was begotten he was not or that he was made of things that were not or that he is of different substance or essence from the Father or that he is a creature, or subject to change or conversion. Uh, so they just went out of their way to make certain there was no way that Arius could affirm this. Um, anybody that says any of that, all that, so all that so say that, the Catholic, and the word here means universal, uh, the Catholic and apostolic church anathematizes them. So, that means kicks them out. That they are not affirming Christianity. Now, two quick things here. Um, one, there's very little in here about the Holy Spirit, and this leads some people to say that that the early church wasn't Trinitarian; it was binitarian. No, there's very little in here about God, the Father, as well. The the debate creeds get formed in response to challenges. And the challenges were all about the, the, the nature of Jesus. They're about the Trinity, but they're really about Jesus and is he God. And uh, they, they mentioned the Holy Spirit here to affirm that the, yes, no, we're not even talking at this moment about the Holy Spirit, but we're gonna also say we believe and affirm, right, the Holy Spirit. So, um, so that's the first thing. And then the second is to say that, that this creed 
the Creed of Nicaea, uh, is not the Nicene Creed. What's going to happen is um, shortly after the council ends, and they, again, they do some other things before they uh, adjourn. They agree on the date of Easter and some other things. But, but shortly after the council ends, the Arius is, is excommunicated and he's gone. Um, but his followers sort of uh, come back with a modified position, a semi-Arian position. And they're going to try and, and get that. They're going to try and downplay the, this creed. And so the, for the next 50 years, there's going to be a, a back and forth between those that are sort of affirming the, the, council, the, the creed of Nicaea and those that are trying to change it ever so slightly or just ignore it. And this will lead um, to our next uh, lecture, which is about Athanasius, who replaces Alexander? Alexander, the Bishop of Alexandria, that had convened, that you know, that had been in the in the tiff with um, Arius initially, he dies, and so um, a new bishop is appointed. That's um, Athanasius, and Athanasius will fight this fight for the next fifty years, um, and he will get the 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 Creed of Nicaea uh, modified a little bit to sort of get it affirmed, modified, nothing really changes. They just have got to use more language to sort of lock it in. And that's the creed, sometimes also called the Nicene-Constantinople Creed because that conference will be held in Constantinople. We're going to look at that next. Look, let me end with this. Be encouraged. Part of the reason to study church history is to see the providential hand of God uh, steering things over time. And also be encouraged because... Uh, as the creed states, Jesus is fully God of the same. He's, he's absolutely God, equal with God the Father. He's perfectly able to atone for your sins and to atone for mine.